Hello, and welcome back to our Straw Pipe podcast with me, your host, Jack Cole. So today, I'm joined by Lauren Lockett and Alex Semjinov. So both of you, welcome, thank you. And jump in with Lauren, tell us a little bit about your background, what it is that you do, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, I'm originally from Belgium. I graduated in the University of Ghent. Um, then I, I did an internship in the UK. Then I did a, did a residency in veterinary cardiology in uh, the University of Ghent again. And during my a residency, which is a specialty training, I got involved in uh, cardiovascular research in uh, non-domestic species. And after finishing um, my residency training, I came back to the UK and basically now my daily job is um, as a veterinary cardiologist in small animals, namely cats and dogs. And occasionally um, or quite frequently, I'm involved in uh, cardiac screening and research uh, in non-domestic species still. And Alex? Hello, everyone. And uh, well, I, I'm originally from Estonia, and I lived all my life in Estonia as well. Uh, I was graduated. Uh, then I started my uh, specialization, and my field of, of expertise is anesthesiology. So uh, I did my PhD uh, at uh, Estonian University of Life Sciences, but all experimental work was with non-domestic animals, and um, that's how got involved to zoo wildlife medicine. Currently, I'm a uh, chief legal officer at the head of the uh, head of uh, the zoo, local zoo as well. So I'm, I do lots of research and lots of teaching and practical clinical work as an anesthetist with uh, uh, different species of uh, wildlife, including like the free-ranging zoo animals and marine mammals as well. Although I need to commit that uh, I'm, I still work as small animal uh, anesthesiologist, uh, but yeah, involved to uh, zoo and wildlife, providing the service for the long-term anesthesias, uh, pretty much shown in any animals, including giraffes, rhinos, pig carnivores, elephants, so on. Incredible. Thank you, thank you uh, to both of you. Okay, so for our audience who, like myself, are quite sort of... Um, Quite, quite regular people who don't know much about the field. Lawrence, starting you could tell us sort of exactly what it is that you do day to day. Yeah, so on a daily basis, um, I um, scan, treat, and manage um, dogs and cats with cardiac disease. Um, sometimes we uh, are able to repair certain cardiac diseases as well. For example, some uh, heart diseases, which we call congenital heart diseases, and were uh, diagnosed um, shortly or quite soon after uh, birth. Uh, we can do that through keyhole surgery. And then uh, I'm involved as well in an open heart surgery program in uh, dogs in a private center in the UK, close to Cambridge. And then apart from my daily job, um, I do do cardiovascular research in non-domestic species. So primarily big cats, but some great apes as well. So for example, um, Great apes are predisposed for certain heart diseases, and more and more zoos are uh, becoming aware of the importance of cardiac screening in these species. So I'm part of a group uh, that is dedicated to screening great apes in zoological institutions in Europe as well. 
And Alex? So I pretty much can just uh, say the same, that I, on a daily basis I work as a, a small animal uh, anesthesiologist, so my main patients are dogs and cats with difficult uh, or different problems, mostly. Uh, it uh, yeah uh, might be long dental procedures or some uh, surgeries or any other case like uh, visual diagnostics or any case actually where they need to have anesthetist there. And uh, one day in the week, uh, the animals there, mostly again, like uh, doing anesthesia or, or bigger procedures. But I travel a lot. Uh, uh, I do uh, clinical services uh, for anesthesia for different occasions, uh, different reasons uh, in uh, not domestic species. Like as I, as I said before, the range is quite uh, uh, wide. So uh, might be the uh, rhino was the wounded one zoo. Then I fly to another place because of uh, of giraffe dental trimming or tooth trimming. Then also like marine mammals because there are not so many anesthetists in Europe available that uh, can do uh, marine mammal anesthesia and uh, we do lots of uh, dental work on the, uh, all kinds uh, of species of animals and I do lots of training for zoo vets, wildlife vets. I just came uh, a few days ago, I came from India, I was teaching there uh, people that try to solve the human-animal conflict uh, because uh, we all understand that the population uh, uh, of people uh, in uh, on our planet is too high, and uh, anyway, we we live in the planet together with other wild animals, and it can produce some tensions between. So I do uh, these kind of things with tigers, leopards, elephants. So Alex, just keep me for a second. So, bit of a naive question, but what are some of the challenges? that uh, come with anesthetizing animals as opposed to people, apart from the obvious, um, yeah. Uh, well, you have, uh, in, in this case, if you have the conflict between the animal and the people, uh, the people usually prefer the easiest solution just to shoot the animal, right? Right. So we teach them how to avoid that, how to translocate animals. So how to, for example, use radio collars for them to uh, give the early warning signals to villages that the animal is approaches them. Right. And Florence, same similar question. What are some of the challenges as opposed to dealing with uh, with people? Yeah, so um, when it comes to people, obviously you can tell them how to lay down and hold their breath, which is quite challenging with the average chihuahua. Uh, but um, usually you follow a dedicated uh, protocol. There are some uh, guidelines that you can follow to scan domestic species, for example, uh, cats and dogs and even horses. But when it comes to non-domestic uh, species, then there's, uh, there are not many guidelines out there apart from a few species. And in some of these species, you have to adjust or adapt the um, cat or dog protocol. Let's say a big tiger, you can, or a tiger you can scan as a, as a cat. Uh, and great apes, you have to use uh, a human echocardiographic protocol. Um, that would be bonobos and chimpanzees. For example, uh, orangutans are even a bit more challenging because they have big air sacs. So that can be quite challenging because it interferes with your contact between your probe and the actual heart. 
And then when it comes to other species, for example, um, I've scanned uh, bears, I've scanned other species as well, um, very, very tiny primates, then you have to just um, hit and miss. And the more you do, the more experienced you become. And uh, you sometimes have to be very original and sometimes you find the heart back in a very strange place that you weren't expecting it. Um, but it's a fascinating field. And both of you, of course, travel quite a lot. I was wondering, um, Alex, you mentioned India. Um, so traveling around, and I'm sure both of you involved in lecturing and research, uh, as, I, as I understand it. And Alex, tell me some of the things that are at the sort of the front line, um, the cutting edge of that research, um, yeah, that you've been, been, been working on. Well, the, the, the main uh, field of my research is uh, to find a novel, uh, more safe protocols for anesthesia for non-domestic species, because we know that anesthesia can create the risk for the patient. And uh, all the time we try to improve something because uh, previously, like uh, years and years, people used uh, the same protocols. Uh, but uh, uh, nowadays we have uh, uh, possibility to to create something new to manage animals better in anesthesia. So. Uh, and of course, like a different species that, uh, as Lovall just say, that sometimes you just use the protocol that can be used for domestic animals, but actually they're, the tiger is still not a big cat, it's a tiger. So we try to find uh, the safest uh, possibility to anesthetize these animals and manage them in anesthesia for longer procedures. And learn? Um, yes, so basically, um, I'm sorry, I was distracted for a second. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, for no, once? no problem at all. So, yeah, I was just asking about, um, you're both on the sort of the cutting edge of research yeah. and you've given lots of lectures, and I was just wondering what's sort of in vogue uh, in your field at the moment. Exactly. Sorry, I have the attention span of a Labrador puppy uh, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, what we're looking at, for example, at the great apes, uh, is we do know that in captivity, the vast majority of great apes come from cardiac disease. So it becomes more and more apparent that there is a difference between great apes uh, in captivity and then their non-captive counterparts. Um, and it's actually two-way street. So, for example, when you treat or when you scan uh, animals in captivity, then you uh, can benefit and help with the management of that particular animal in that particular zoo. And you can extrapolate that knowledge to the non-captive counterparts and hope to uh, help to understand better why some zoos or, or some animals in zoos yeah. come from certain diseases that are not prevalent at all in the wild. Uh, so that's the first group of uh, research. The second group of research is, for example, um, uh, cardiorenal uh, research, so uh, the connection between kidney disease and heart disease um, in big cats that we're doing with a good friend of both Alex and I, um, because, for example, one in eight, one in seven domestic cats will get some cardiac disease at some point, and we know older domestic cats are, for example, predisposed as well for renal disease, kidney disease, and thyroid disease, and that doesn't seem the case at all that there's uh, a lot of cardiac disease and thyroid disease but there is a lot of kidney disease in big cats and again it helps us to understand the individual animal better how to treat the individual animal in the zoo and hopefully extrapolate some of that knowledge to uh, other species even domestic species for example cats and dogs and the third group in general is uh, species that haven't been investigated that much uh, but for example, we do know that some endangered species anecdotally might 
some come from certain diseases and it would ha be helpful if you have at least a bit of a database and some of these species to compare with uh, later on if we notice that certain species uh, are um, sensitive for certain diseases for conservation purposes for example. No, could you speak a little bit more to that the difference between sort of diseases you'd find between domestic animals I and mean, you mentioned a few there but generally speaking is it like a, uh, like a, like a lifestyle issue bit Imagining if something is captive, then it's going to be less uh, active, I, I, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. exactly. So, so, for example, the best studied group in that aspect for cardiovascular disease would be the great apes, which are, which are of course, the chimpanzees, the bonobos, the gorillas, and the uh, orangutans. And we do know, for example, based on certain papers, that up to 77% of chimpanzees in the zoos die because of cardiovascular disease. But there are some very good studies out there. Uh, in, for example, chimpanzees that are not kept in zoos, um, that they did further research, and they seem to be far less sensitive for cardiac disease. So we have to look for human-influenced factors that might contribute or cause cardiovascular disease in chimps, for example, and in zoos. So you have to think about the enclosures, you have to think about diet, you have to think about genetics. So those are things that if you invest more time, effort, and money in that kind of research, then you don't not only help the individual animals in zoos, but you would help to contribute uh, to conservation as well, because it's a two-way street. And, and Lauren, how has your field changed over you know, whatever uh, time span you think is appropriate, perhaps over the last 10 years? Um, or when did it, also I'd like to know, when did it actually start becoming a thing um, that there yeah. were people conducting these, this sort of uh, procedures on, on Species. So, so I've been involved in wildlife uh, cardiac screening and research for four or five years. And even within that fairly short time span, I've noticed that, in my opinion, um, a lot of zoo vets are becoming more and more open uh, for collaboration. They see uh, the purpose and the added value of um, having people uh, with a different field of expertise, because obviously these are very skilled and knowledgeable vets and they do a they know a thousand things about a thousand species but they are not it's humanly impossible to do everything yourself as well so more and more zoo vets are open for collaboration with other vets with another certain uh, expertise so that's very very helpful um, when it comes to the great ape cardiology that has been quite obvious already for let's say two decades that um, well cardiovascular disease is very very important but you see the importance of cardiovascular disease and other types of organ failure and organ diseases in all different species becoming more apparent. So it's quite intriguing and interesting to see that uh, more things become more obvious uh, the more research we do in, in these species, in different species. Of course, Alex, same question for you. How is, have you seen your field change and how has it been developing over the you know, past years? Well, I'm, I'm in this field for 30 years now. Uh, and uh, I think like the, the most important thing that changed is the uh, more and more thinking about uh, welfare of the patient, not just, uh, you know, having, putting them sleep, waking them up, not thinking about how they feel during the anesthesia, during the procedure, after the procedure, what is the pain management uh, after the procedure and uh, uh, what, what animal feels after. So we put more and more attention to these kind of things to make the the all cases of anesthesia uh, 
safer for the animal. For example, if uh, previously uh, many colleagues they said like the, it's safe to keep the animal in in, in anesthesia for 20-30 minutes, but now we can uh, do the procedures on difficult species like a walrus for uh, three four hours to remove tusks for them and um, to make the the animal not suffer from the disease that maybe this animal lived with uh, for a couple of years and uh, we try to decrease the risks for anesthesia and that's the main change uh, at the moment the management and welfare and pain management brilliant um and i'm sure both of you have some stories about certain situations that you've been in so lauren start with you tell us about some of your experiences that you've had at work stand out yeah so so um when i think about the extremes of the spectrum um for example if i think about um one of the largest animals that i've scanned so far would be uh, a baby rhino of four or five hundred kilograms that was conscious and standing and uh, that was quite interesting because that has never been described before and we managed to find uh, the heart um, with the ultrasound so that was quite cool then for example at a certain point i was contacted for a polar bear one of the largest ones in europe uh, 600 kilograms um, in a zoo of France with respiratory distress and they wanted to exclude cardiac disease so it was quite scary to go there <laughs> uh, to go all the way there and maybe not being able to find the heart but we managed to find the heart with the ultrasound and the heart was luckily fine as well we flushed uh, the, the windpipe the trachea and the lungs and it turned out to be a bacterial pneumonia and then we treated the, the bear and he recovered fine then uh, other extremes of the spectrum, for example, is uh, the trip that Alex and I made recently to Borneo, so to the other side of the world. And um, we were involved in uh, training local vets and helping them out with some tricky procedures together with a mutual friend who did the dent uh, dentistry and the dental procedures in the orangutan and certain bears. So yeah, we're, we're very lucky to be involved uh, in a lot of cool things at the moment. And Alex, same, uh, same to you. Well, I think that uh, because uh, I'm I'm doing anesthesia for uh, many years and for many many species of animals, but if you will ask for a story, I think one of the most emotional story with anesthesia was uh, uh, in South Africa in one of the private uh, private parks that had the rhinos, and and uh, I think it was three years ago when it was just before Corona when it was really dry and there was no water everywhere. And we got a phone call that uh, there is the uh, white rhino cow that's stuck in the mud. So, and uh, she had a baby as well. So uh, we uh, came to the place. It was the river full of mud, the dry river. And because like that was the last chance probably for this female to find the water, she went into the mud and she stuck. She actually went on uh, two thirds of the body into the mud. So, but the worst thing was that uh, she was keeping struggling to, to get out from that. And she had a baby for a, that was really a small one. And uh, the baby was like, you just uh, circling around, uh, trying to calling the mother. And we needed to anesthetize both baby and, uh, and uh, the female. And we literally spent two hours of digging anesthetized rhino from the mud. We did pull it out uh, from the mud, but because like the animal was struggling for two days to get from the from that uh, that problem, 
we thought and we were quite sure that um, this animal uh, already uh, already have problems with muscles and uh, would not not be able to stand up afterwards. So once we finally got it out, uh, I uh, we brought the baby close to her. We recovered both of them. Uh, and uh, we thought that if she won't be able to stand, then we'll just take the baby away and we'll, we'll feed that from a bottle uh, in the rehab center. And I gave that uh, 20 minutes. If in 20 minutes she will stand up, then uh, uh, we can do something. If not, then probably the animal should be euthanized just to, when we think about welfare. And she struggled to stand up and she stood up exactly in 20 minutes all of our team standing there, we all were crying. Incredible, wow. Goodness. Um, okay, and uh, so, Laurent, back to you. What are some of the trends that you can see in your field and how could things be developing and what could we see in the, in the coming years ahead? Yes, so um, luckily more and more uh, zoos are open for uh, collaboration, so that's great, like I mentioned before. But for example, recently um, we organized a course on wildlife ultrasonography, so both to scan the abdomen, the belly and the heart, and invited vets from all over the world to come and uh, join us if they were interested. And it was very nice to see that the course was was fully booked, was a good success or a great success. Uh, and therefore, we're going to uh, try to repeat it soon uh, and uh, organize a second edition. So that just goes to show that many more vets are open to learn, um, even if it's with techniques that they're less familiar with. And that um, people with different fields of expertise are willing to collaborate as well. So the whole veterinary community is getting more and more involved in uh, zoo and wildlife medicine and conservation. So I really hope that this trend will continue and that we'll be able to help many more animals and hopefully contribute a little bit to conservation of some very endangered species as well. Absolutely. And Alex, same to you. Tell me about some of the trends that, that you can see or what you'd like to see. Well, I, uh, I would actually say the same because now we just want to train more people to keep the same standards of pain management, of safety of anesthesia, of welfare of, uh, of the of the patient during anesthesia to uh, have possibility in different parts of the world to do that on a more safer uh, uh, way, uh, to not put additional risk for the, for the patient, for the animal. And um, uh, I really hope that, and I see that people want to learn and at the moment I think uh, uh, we just want to improve their techniques, their knowledge, and uh, actually their ethical approach to the animal. And Alex, um, for those who would like to learn more um, and just understand your work, follow your work, follow what you're up to, where could they find you? All those materials. Well, they can when well, they can find me. They can Google my name and they will find the contacts for sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they definitely can find me in Estonia sometimes. <laughs> and what about resources? Um, as you said, there's groups out there who would like to learn more about your field or get involved themselves. Well, uh, on my Instagram page, I do lots of uh, educational posts about the wildlife anesthesia. So that's uh, Alex Vetmet. Uh, so just join there and you will get lots of information about, about different species of animals. 
Brilliant. Thank you. And Lauren, yeah, just to finish, uh, same question to you. Where can people follow you, um, understand more about your work or or uh, find resources if they'd like to you know, get involved themselves? Yeah, to, to be honest, I'm not the most active person on any social medium apart from LinkedIn. I don't have any other social media apart from LinkedIn. Uh, and that's uh, another, well, the medium that I use to keep people posted about um, cool stuff, about courses that we're organizing to keep in touch uh, or to get in touch with like-minded people. So if you want to discuss anything or, or Alex and I can help you out with anything, just feel free to reach out and send us a message. And uh, we're more than happy to help. So Lauren, Alex, thank you both for your time. No worries, thank you so much.